Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Sandra Rimstead and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starks. On today's program, we talk with Swedish-American champion Sandra Rimstedt about holding your own at the table and learning from your mistakes. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing? I'm great, Jocelyn. How are you? I'm good. You know, I've been thinking a lot about rules. You know, I love a rule. (laughs) But, you know, the trick is sometimes there's just not a rule for the situation and you have to use judgment. So this came up with the issue about overcalls. I had five spades, but they were bad to the 10 high. And I had about 13 points in my hand, including two aces. And I decided not to overcall because uh, the suit was so poor. Mm -hmm. But I think that was maybe a mistake, not that the suit wasn't poor, but there were other things to be considered, like the two aces in my hand, which made it less bad. And, And because I had 13 points, 13 high card points. So it was a decent hand just a very bad spade suit. And, you know, it just sort of reminded me that when you are first learning, you learn all these rules. And then you sort of employ whatever gadget or rule that you know to any situation. And now I feel like I'm in the process of maybe pulling back. And just because they're is a rule that maybe is related to the situation doesn't mean you just 
do it. You think about other things. I know this seems so basic, but to me, this has been a process. I don't know that it's improving my game, but it definitely feels, it feels interesting. Like just because you can do something or just because you have a gadget, don't just automatically do it because it looks like it could fit the bill, you know? Sort of an interesting thing that I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. And obviously, it's very important to develop judgment about these things. And I don't think that I'm anywhere near there yet, but I can sort of see a way forward, I guess, as far as when not to just employ, let's say, a convention to disrupt a no Trump or something. Like, just because you have the right shape or the right point count doesn't always mean that you should do it, I guess. Um, yeah. Very fundamental issue that it's taken me this long to 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 get through my head. But anyway, <laughs> that's my that's my that's the that's the update on <laughs> Jocelyn's POV about bridge. That's the scoop of the week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the scoop of the week from Jocelyn's development as a bridge player. <laughs> but it's so interesting because it sounds like you're having that meta experience of watching yourself making a decision and then questioning yourself making that decision. And so you've now got that extra decision-making layer going on. Right. Right. It is meta. <laughs> <laughs> it's so meta. Hey, so I'm curious though, with the spade overcall that you chose not to make, now that you've got some distance on the hand, is your thought that it was the wrong decision because the spade contract made? Like, are you being a result merchant? Or what is it that you now think, what judgment have you brought to bear on the hand that you didn't at the time? I think it was the wrong thing to pass. I think overcalling one spade would have been the right thing to do. And I don't think I'm being results oriented, although, of course, that would have been a much better result. And it's not just because I had the 13 points. It's because I had those aces. And I think that's what gave my hand the power to overcall with such a crappy suit. If it had been 13 points, but not made up of two aces, then passing might well have been fine. But I think it was the presence of the two aces. So that's my takeaway. Yeah. And because you were able to bid spades. And so it was that dominant suit. Exactly. The boss suit. <laughs> the boss suit. And did everybody else bid the spade contract? No, we got a fine score for it. It would have been a lot better, I think, in spades. But we, uh, I think we got a 55% on the board, something like that. So it wasn't terrible, but it would have been better because my partner had four spades. So we can definitely do something in spades. It's not a game, but we can make two or three spades. But in the moment at the table, you just felt like your suit wasn't robust enough to warrant the overcall. Yes. And I also thought that since only one opponent had bid to that point, that we didn't know where, we, where things were going and there was a chance that things would develop and I might be able to do something later. What happened was, though, after the opening bid passed by me, my left-hand opponent then bid one no Trump, and that's where the contract was played. And we did set them, but we would have done better in spades. So just to pick up on the way that you opened the conversation by talking about rules, which rule did you apply 
Well, that's interesting. So yeah, so at first there's the rule that if you have a five card suit and enough points to overcall, you overcall. But that one I rejected because I have learned through hard experience with partners saying, I don't like that overcall about my overcalls that you should have a good suit to do an overcall. So that would have been the rule that then I was employing. But what I really need to do is say, you know, I have five spades and they're bad, but I have 13 points and I've got some aces. So on balance, my judgment is telling me I should overcall. It's just so interesting, isn't it? I think it's just one of the hardest things to learn about the game because the rules are there because they're a shorthand to results of a number of judgments that people with much more experience and expertise than us have been able to formulate. And so they can be incredibly useful, but they're incredibly useful to solve a problem. And so once you start to understand what the problem is and then recognize what tools you have at your disposal to address that problem, and that's when you have to outthink that rote learning about the rules that was the first track that you laid down in response to that situation. Yes, and it's a very comfortable track to have a rule. A deep and comfortable <laughs> track. <laughs> yes, a well-worn track. So, yeah, it's a little it's a little tricky to break out and try to look at things more holistically. And we'll be right back. Stepping away for a minute to say thank you to our friend, Larry Cohen, known for his keep it simple sweetheart philosophy. Check out his quizzes, practice hands, and bridge made simple webinars at www.larryco.com. So I received a letter, Catherine. Do you want me to read it? Would I? I would love you to read it. (laughs) So... This is from Len in San Francisco. And he said, I was playing at a regional. Our opponent's convention card was filled out incorrectly. When left-hand opponent confirmed their agreement, contrasting their card, I said he should fix his card. (laughs) When he set it aside, I said, I meant right now. (laughs) He ignored me. Later. His partner approached my partner in the ladies' room and yelled at her that their card was correct and she should tell me to be less stupid. On the way to dinner, I asked my partner how often it's productive to ask someone to be less stupid. (laughs) She said, about as often as asking someone to fix their convention card. Who is the card right or was it wrong? I'm really, or did neither of them know? Well, Len, who I trust, said that their card and their agreement did not match. Their stated agreement at the table did not match. So he said the card should be fixed. So I guess the card was wrong and their explanation. Yeah. But it's just, you know. So funny. Oh, it's hilarious. I can't believe she approached the, the partner in the bathroom. I mean, wow. I mean, that's the thing about bridge, isn't it? You know, I think especially for people who don't play, they don't understand that while all this stuff happens at the table, you take it with you and it exists. You're in that world. You know, even if you're playing online, you're in that world. It doesn't just end there. Right, right. And also, I just think it, it takes some nerve to approach someone in the bathroom and say anything negative about their partner because usually the people who are partners with 
the people are going to take their partner's side. Of course. And so they don't want to be told that their partner is stupid <laughs> or that they should or that their partner should be less stupid. Well, it's essentially being rude to the whole partnership. While she's directing it at, at the woman's partner, she's essentially being rude to the woman herself. I think it's outrageous mm-hmm. behavior. Outrageous <laughs> behavior. <laughs> really? Yes. Shabby. <laughs> Shabby. Commem, Jocelyn. Commem. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I got I got a bit of a kick out of that because it sounds like somebody had kept their cool at that tournament. Sounds like somebody had too many coffees. Isn't that the case? I find at a certain point, I get overly caffeinated at the game, <laughs> and it's, like, unpleasant. There's a happy medium of being slightly wired, but not overly crazed. Speaking of wired, there was a woman at the club I played at years ago who proudly would tell everybody she never drank coffee. Instead, she would just sit at the game and pop caffeine tablets. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I think they're called no-dos. Oh. There's probably a whole lot of them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's called speed. <laughs> it's called speed. She would be attacking people left, right, and center. I mean, no surprise. Absolutely crazy. Maybe she took the caffeine pills, though, instead of drinking the coffee because the coffee was not very good at that particular game. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Sorry. I know. I know. Coffee is... Coffee is the the drink of the gods in Australia. <laughs> that is true, though. I will admit, I don't know that there's many bridge clubs that make great coffee. <laughs> now, Jocelyn, do you have another letter? I do. So I also heard from Lauren in San Francisco about an auction that went awry. In this case, it was about our favorite convention, Lebensall. <laughs> Would you like to hear that? I most definitely would like to hear that. Okay. So this was a situation where the opponents had opened a week two, followed by a double, followed by two no Trump, relay to clubs, which Lauren alerted as Lebensall. Okay. Then the auction ended in three no Trump. And Lauren's partner said, before you lead, Two no Trump should not have been alerted. We don't play Labensall. <laughs> no. At this point, I'm dying because I've got the moose and we probably have a slam. Tom then proceeds to rack up 12 tricks, and now I'm sure I've lost the match for our team because I forgot our agreement. I also realized that the two spades was a psych. Oh. So we finished our set, our teammates slow and slower. We're still playing, and I knew they would be a while. Tom was a smoker, and he always had to run outside to get his fix as soon as we're done. And I went with him, apologizing all the way. Tom starts smoking, and I can see he's thinking. He had the ability to reconstruct hands after the session. No hand record. Mm. I can literally see the wheels churning in his mind. After a few minutes, he says, I don't think you can make it if you're in it. I look at him. Are you sure? No, but I don't think so. Hours later, slow and slower finish, and we go back to compare. On that board, I say rather sheepishly, plus 690. They say, plus 100. That won the match for us. Hey. So sometimes forgetting your agreement works out. 
<laughs> That's great. I'm sorry, but I just have to back you up. The moose? Right. The moose. That was like the thing I liked the best about this story. The moose, which I gather means a huge hand. Oh, do you know anything about why? No. So, of course, you know, we could maybe Google it. But (laughs) how about if you know the derivation of the expression the moose to describe the huge hand? Maybe our Canadian listeners might might have an inkling about this. Great idea. Please do send us <laughs> the explanation at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or via Instagram, or you can leave us a voice message. That link is also in the show notes, along with some other good information. Coming up next, our interview is Sandra Rimstedt. Swedish-American champion Sandra Rimstedt says she was born with a deck of cards in her mouth. She grew up in a small village of Halmstead in southwest Sweden, but even though her parents and siblings are all champion players, they rarely played together at home. After playing for Sweden, she now lives in New York City and competes for the USA. She has a slew of bridge achievements, including winning gold in the women's pairs at the European Championships, winning bronze in the women's teams at the World Championships, winning gold in the women's teams at the International Mind Sports Association Games, and winning a number of teams' events at the North American Bridge Championships. We began by asking her what she loves most about the game. The best thing about bridge, I think it's the bridge world itself and all the people in the bridge world. Every single class is represented. It's different cultures. It's fascinating. I feel like you just learn from all your opponents and your partners. And when you come to the bridge table, you're all equals in a way. Do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play? I used to go to more fun social tournaments back in the days, but I have two young kids. So now I have to pick and choose a little bit because I'm already traveling to a lot of tournaments. But to me, the world championship, I mean, it doesn't really get better than that. There is so much preparation to get there, both with your partner. You have to improve your own game. You have to come there and be mentally and physically prepared. And while there, it's the the atmosphere. It's the heat of the moment. You feel that you're with the best of the best. To me, it doesn't get better than that. And I just love being at all those tournaments. How do you prepare for a tournament? In the weeks leading up to the tournament, what do you do? To me, it's very important to be both mentally prepared and physically prepared. You're going to sit at the World Championship using your brain for 10 hours a day. Focus really hard. I think it's to your advantage if you are in somewhat good shape. I'm not a workout person, don't like to exercise, but I always try to do that a lot more before a world championship. I think it's also, of course, very important that you're on the same page with your partner, not just bridge-wise, but also how you handle bad results and bad moments, what to expect from your partner. If I make a bad mistake, how do I want my partner to handle it? Do I want them to 
help me to figure out what I, what mistakes I made or do I want them to not say anything at all until the tournament is over or until the match is over. Those are the most important things, I think. Also, just do whatever I can to improve my game, which to me is always review. Well, what could I do better? And I usually try. There is a program on BBO called Bridge Master. I think it used to be separate. And that really helps me prepare for the top game. And I really recommend it to everyone who wants to just up their game a little bit. It's really helpful. For declarer play? For declarer play, yes. You said that you do extra exercise to be in good physical shape for the stamina required for a long tournament. What exercise do you do? I try to do a little bit of everything. I try to, I don't like to run, but I think it's good to be in better shape and have better endurance. I try to run, push myself to do it a little bit more, weight lift, but I definitely do a lot of yoga. I think that's just really good for the body and really get you to the mindset of be prepared for long matches, intense matches, downfalls. Does it help you focus? It definitely helps me focus. And before a really important match or a really important day, I always try to do a little bit of yoga in the morning just to get myself into that state of mind and be really focused. In what way does it help you focus? I think yoga is just helping you shut out the rest of the world, which is also something that I usually do when I prepare for the world championship. I try to just make sure that I, everything that I have at home, that I leave that at home, all unfinished business should be finished so that you can come to the world championship and just prepare for that tournament, that game, that board, and not have to worry about, is my kid being picked up from school or what other commitments do I have on the side and try to just be fully, fully present at the tournament and not the very board that I'm in. When you talk to your partner about what you would like from your partner as far as feedback, whether to give you constructive criticism or to just keep it to themselves, what is your preference typically, or does it change from tournament to tournament or from partner to partner? I think it changed. It changed who I'm playing with, who my partner is. I, I think you can always learn. And that's, you know, the beauty of, of the game. You can always improve. And I want to always do better. I want to get better. And so I would always love input from partner and from everyone else. But in a match, if I make a mistake, I am so hard on myself already that I don't need any input from partner. I feel horrible and so I prefer that it's nothing is mentioned at all or just have a partner that's very supportive. And then afterwards, you know, when we're away from the table or away from that match, if there is any information that I could have picked up that I didn't really notice, and I would love to pick their brains or anyone else's. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What would your partner say is your greatest strength? when it comes to your bridge game? I'm maybe not the most technical player and, you know, the best to figure out every single scenario and possibility and the impossible scenarios, but I am very hardworking and I will always go in and try my best. And another strength I think is also that I, when I make a mistake, I don't let it carry on to the next board. I try to get it out of the way once that board is over and move on to the next. Sometimes that means that I have to take a bathroom break. I have to leave the table and just go and bang my head in the wall in the bathroom and come back and be ready for the next board. But I really try to just accept that I will have some bad boards and when they happen, okay, that was one of them and move on to the next one and really try to just do my very best and be fully focused on that board for the next. What would your partner say is your greatest strength that you bring to a partnership? I think that I'm a very good partner. I think that over the years, you understand that everyone will make a lot of mistakes and your partner will make a lot of mistakes. They will make stupid mistakes. They will make the wrong decisions. And I think it's important to just be very supportive to your partner also and uh, not get angry or into them. I also think that my partner would say that I'm very hardworking. I'm always going to try to do my best. Do you ever lose your cool? Absolutely. (laughs) I definitely lose my cool when I play with my husband. I think my students, I teach a lot of bridge. They would say that I'm one of the most patient teachers they have. And I think that's true. But also when I'm teaching, I feel that it's my job to teach my students. I am expecting them to make a lot of mistakes. And I love to tell them how to think differently. But when I play with my husband, I'm expecting us to have a lot of fun and master the game. And it's going to be amazing bridge. And when it's not perfect bridge and not a lot of fun, I lose it. It's like, why am I here? I don't have to be here (laughs) if I'm not going to have fun and if we're not going to try our hardest. So I guess that's the one time when I really lose it. Well, he's an expert player, right? So when you play with him, you expect him to perform well. He is a very good player. Yes, he's an expert. And I think it's also maybe because it's my profession. I'm a professional bridge player and teacher. So if I'm going to play bridge in my spare time also, I want it to be amazing. I love to play bridge and I love the whole game and everything about it. But if I play bridge five days that week and I'm going to play on a Saturday too, I want it to be the amazing bridge game and the amazing 
good experience and that we are going to have a good time. Why should I be there playing Ridge otherwise? I just played five days in a row. What might your partner say is your weakest area of the game? I definitely think it's my tempo. I get very frustrated when the play goes very slow. So I tend to speed it up a little bit, which also means that I miss small details that I should have paid more attention to. That's definitely the weakest. I I think that's what my partner would say. And that's what I would say. I can always be a little bit more careful. And for some players, they are very intuitive and just know what's going on right away. You can play it. But I think I sometimes need to think a little bit more about what's going on on the hand. And sometimes I get a little lazy or sloppy and forget. And then I do silly, stupid mistakes that I really should have been able to figure out if I just took a little bit more time. Can you think of an example of a hand when you wish you'd taken more time? So I think a perfect example is when dummy has three or four little in a suit and you're sitting with the ace and you're just following suit. You're not really paying attention to how to plan in the defense and all of a sudden declare a place, a low card from dummy, and you're not really sure if you should go up with the ace or not. And so if you start to think, you will give it away. So then what I usually do is just play in tempo low. But if sometimes if I would have just thought a little bit more about the hand, I would have known that I should have just jumped up with ace because it could be King Singleton or it was very important for me to get in and shift to something for partner. So those are the times, you know, where I just wish that I took a little bit longer to think about the hand when dummy came down instead of just keep playing and get dragged in to um, declare his tempo. I'm thinking, though, I'm just wondering if you normally play in tempo and don't give anything away from your tempo, that probably gains you some ground against somebody who is analyzing your tempo. And so you're not giving anything away. Maybe you're gaining ground in that area, which makes up for the fact that every once in a while, if you had taken more time and you would have gone up with the ace and given away where the ace was because you went up with it or decided not to, you know, maybe maybe you come out ahead. Absolutely. But that's what I think also is one thing that I try to do, and especially like at a world championship is when I'm playing defense and dummy comes down, I try to always take 10 seconds to think a little bit about the hand so that when Declare starts to play a card, now I know exactly what my plan is. The perfect example is, you know, if there is ace, queen, jack in dummy and I sit with a king behind, I know at some point the Declare is going to finesse the suit. So am I going to duck it or am I going to take it? Because once declared, do play low to the queen. If I start to think about it, they will know I have the king. It's I'm giving away the whole hand. So those little tips, I think it's important to just have a plan. You know, try to take those 10 seconds to figure out what is declared going to try to do on this hand. Uh, what is my plan? What is my approach to this defense? And really, that's what I've been trying to do just to not lose the tempo necessarily to still have the same tempo when I play, but still take my time to not be as sloppy when I defend. One of the things that we get asked, and in particular, this has come from an audience member named Mike from Michigan, has to do with visualization. And it's something that I think a lot of players, maybe at the intermediate level, are struggling with to get to the higher levels. And 
very much seeking input and advice from experts on steps that they can take to get better at visualizing the layout of the cards. And it sounds like if you're a super intuitive person, you just know, you can tell where that jack is and where that queen is and where that ace is. But for the rest of us, are there particular steps that you recommend to your students to get better at figuring out the distribution and where the cards are, where the high cards are? So I I think the whole game of bridge is looking for clues. You know, you're always looking for clues to be able to visualize the whole hand. And that could be clues about where are all the high card points. And, you know, the number one thing is what information do you have from the bidding and sort of start to put them in the different hands. And, you know, even if the opponents pass, that is also an important clue. They did not overcall. So, of course, just putting together the high card points in different places and then also the distribution eventually. It's not often when dummy comes down, if I'm defending or if I'm declaring that I know the entire hand. But then from the lead, the way they follow, the tempo, when they start to think about certain things, then I get more information trick too. Are they giving me count? And slowly, piece by piece, I would say I have a more clear picture of the hands. I'm not saying it's easy. And I say that to the students all the time. Bridge is not easy, but in the end, it's pretty logical. Do you have a bridge blind spot? Maybe not a blind spot, but I do feel that there are always certain opponents I play against, and I always do bad against them. And it's sort of, I know I'm going to come to their table, and now it's just going to be a bad board. I can play against much better opponents than this specific person. And do fine and not be nervous. But then there are certain players that I just know that that I will just not do well against. And I get nervous. That's one of my weaknesses, I think. When I do get nervous, I perform so much worse. So that's something also that I try to work on. Even with these players that I have to play against that tell myself they're not that good or they're not that dangerous. I can just play my game and I will be fine. What is it about these players that makes you nervous? Well, it's definitely good players in general. But you play against good players all the time. I do. It's definitely people who play fast. I can say that. I know exactly which players that always get me. And it's the one that are pretty fast players and just know what they're doing. They play quick and I just sort of fall into the trap. I follow in the tempo and I then all of a sudden I'm stuck and I made it really stupid mistake because I just follow card and I didn't think about the hand and what I will have to do. So it's definitely, again, the tempo, one of my weaknesses. Is there anything that you try to do to address that nervousness beforehand? You know, if you see that one of these players is coming to your table next, for example, do you have a little mantra in your mind? Is there anything that you tell yourself? Nowadays, I try to just tell myself that I played against these Hundreds of times I've done better than these at so many tournaments. I think confidence is a big component in bridge too. And, you know, if you go in and you feel confident and you think that you're a winner, you're going to make the right decisions and you're going to do better. So that's also something that I try to tell myself when I have to play these players that I know I am equal. Sandra, I know that you grew up in Sweden and now you live in New York City. When did you come to New York? So I moved to New York 10 years ago. 
I met my husband three years prior that, and we had a long distance relationship for a few years. And then after I finished college, I moved to New York and I've been here since. And what's it like now playing in the United States if you're competing against a Swedish team? How does that feel? It's very special. I've been playing for Sweden my entire life. And on my team, it was my best friends. My sister has been on the team. And it was a very hard decision for me to decide to stop playing for Sweden and start to play for the U.S. And I knew I was going to do it eventually because it's very hard to practice with my partner when I was living here in the U.S. And she was living in Sweden. And there were so many practice opportunities live that I was missing out on. But then I had a baby and I had to sit out for two years anyhow. And then my the Swedish team actually went and won the world championships. So I decided that, well, now they're going to be done of winning. So now it's time to switch and start to play for the U.S. I think my heart is always going to be on the Swedish team. But whenever I'm sitting down at a bridge table, I always want to win. I wish that I don't would have to play against Sweden, but... When I sit down in those matches, I am going to do everything that I can to just come out as the winner. What do you think should be done to increase the number of women playing at the highest echelons, at the top tournaments? So I think the women's bridge, you know, that there is a whole different field of just women is, it's good to some extent. But I really think for the top women, it's not doing them any service. Because if you're a woman, you're always going to face the dilemma. Do you want to play in the women's events or do you want to play in the open events? And I really think that if you're a woman and you want to become a better player, you should really put yourself out there and you should play against the very best. And sadly, I think the women's bridge is not as strong as the very top level in the open fields. So being able to have more open events together is better for women's bridge. You grew up in a bridge playing family. So you've probably always felt clear about your entitlement and your place in the bridge community. But have you ever felt any judgments about your skill because you're a woman? I often feel that bridge players not look down, but they think you're a little bit worse because you're a woman. And that is absolutely not true. I think there are many women that are belonging to the very top. Do you feel any pressure about the fact that you're a woman player? Do you feel that people look down on you? I do feel that people, it's always been a little bit of a challenge to be part of the open team side. And I'm not sure if that's because they look down to you as a bridge player or they just sort of know that there is a woman's field that you can compete in instead since we have that option, which is why I think maybe it's not serving the women that we have that, that it should just be open events. But you said they look down on you. Do you mean men look down on you? Yes, not everyone. But I think in general, I've definitely gotten the sense, you know, that you are not as strong and successful as a women's player. And of course, there are many exceptions. But I've definitely always felt that that's a little bit what's going on in the rich world. Do you have any sense of when you first noticed that? I do remember when we were playing junior events. Already then, they introduced a new field, which was under 25 for girls. They called it the girls' teams. 
And then we were four very successful girls players in Sweden. But some of us really wanted to play in the stronger field. and wanted to play in the junior events instead. And I remember the captain at some point were facing the dilemma. Should I put these girls in the junior team or should I put them in the girls team? And they had other candidates also for the junior team. So then they just decided to I'll put the girls for the girls team instead because then we will fill the girls team because then we can put the other players in the junior team. And that sort of felt like did they do that because we are not the best ones for the junior team or just because it was an easy solution to sort of fill all the teams. And I've seen similar reasonings when it comes now, even in the open events. I know some very strong successful female players wanted to compete and play in the open teams but were denied or not even taken seriously because they could always play in the women's field. In New York, when you're hanging out with friends, do they tend to be bridge players or non-bridge players or a mix of both? I have a mix of both. I've always tried to make sure that I have the bridge world and a life outside of the bridge world because I tend to see that a lot of my friends in the bridge world, they get very snowed in with everything about bridge. Life just becomes about bridge. All the friends are just bridge and everything they want to do is just bridge. And I think it's very important to still keep the outside as a perspective. And I enjoy my friends and everything else around there also. So I definitely have a mix. Where do you meet your non-bridge playing friends? You know, I have my friends from college. I meet friends here in New York through school. I have a lot of, a big Swedish network of my Swedish friends here in New York also. Who's the most interesting person that you've ever encountered through bridge, playing with or against at the table? So I've played against Bill Gates a couple of times. I think that is probably you know, the most interesting person that I've played against. And what was it like? Because often if somebody like that is in the room, there's a little bit of electricity. Did you notice people looking? I think every time Bill Gates is playing in the room, people are coming up and more people want to care a bit. So absolutely, you can definitely feel it in the room when he's there. And there is also security guards. So we get a sense that he's there. Oh, so you noticed the security guard? Yeah, I definitely noticed. They usually come to the tournaments, so you see them around. Yeah. Do you have a favorite conventional gadget that you like to play? When I played with my women's partner in Sweden, we played together for 15 years. We decided to try weak Notrum as an experiment. We didn't think it was going to be very successful, but then we realized that this was giving us amazing results. And it was also fun to use because. Here in the U.S., they're a little bit more strict. You have to have 10 high card points. You cannot have a singleton. But in Sweden and at the world scene, it's more flexible. So we really expanded it so we could open when we had eight high card points, when we had a singleton minor, and we had very specific rules. And that just became fun. It was a preemptive bid. Normally, when you think you open a no trump, that is just very descriptive, strong, balanced hands. And all of a sudden, we got very weak. We had unbalanced hands. And... It became fun to elaborate with it. And I know many opponents were not used to it initially. And their solution to it was, well, we're just going to double you. 
it's okay, you're going to double us, but we have a way to run out of one of Trump to land in our fit. And if you double us then, sure, maybe you're going to take us down one or two, but very often they make game. And it's hard for them to sort of get in. All of a sudden, they have to explore their new suits at the three level, and they don't know, are they strong enough to be in game? So very often, it could be that they missed game because they were just so set on doubling us. And sometimes they didn't know how many high card points to have together. And all of a sudden, they were in game where they absolutely did not belong in game because they just got so carried away that we had no high card points and they had all the high card points. That the partner of the weak no Trump bidder sat there with 10 high card points. And now all of a sudden, the opponents are in game. So they just, we just doubled and got so many numbers. So we started as an experiment thinking that we, this is probably nothing that we're going to keep in our system. And then, quickly became our favorite convention and we just sort of kept playing it until two years ago i stopped playing for sweden so i stopped playing with that partner and i haven't really played it since but that's still my favorite convention what about a convention that you don't like or that you think maybe is a waste of time so i think you the most important part is just that you know all your conventions if you have too many and you mess them up that's already a failure because that's going to cost more that you you don't know how to use them properly rather than than missing sometimes the perfect spot because you had this convention. So I would say always just add a convention at a time. Make sure you don't have too many, that it gets overwhelming. But a particular convention, I am not a big fan of Gerber. And I know, <laughs> I think that's European, a little bit European versus American in general. Yeah, I think there are better ways to use it. What's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? I think it's the advice just that I give everyone else all the time. It's just play against better players. Play with better players. Learn from your mistakes. There's always more to learn. And if you're just working hard and understanding what you did wrong and how to improve, that's how you become a better player. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been terrific. Thank you so much for having me. And that's the show. Many thanks to Sandra Rimstedt. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are in the show notes and on the website, along with some other good stuff. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on site. And remember, as Sandra says, work hard to learn from your mistakes. That's the best way to improve your game. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. -bye. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.